Well, so far in 1 Peter, Peter has, has been telling us uh, over and over again that as God's elect exiles, we have been created and redeemed to put Jesus on display to the world by the way we relate to the people in our world. Remember that Peter said that we are a people of God's own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of Jesus who brought us out of darkness, called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we display the excellencies of Jesus in the way we relate to the people in the places where we worship, work, live, and play. And when we do that, we will suffer. But, Peter says, even that life of suffering, that suffering service, is the Jesus-shaped life to which we've been called. This, too, suffering as we love, puts Jesus on display. He went on to say in 1 Peter 2, he said, To this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So pray with me this morning as we take another step in uh, Peter's letter of understanding what it means uh, for us to put Jesus on display to the world in the way we relate in the world. Let's, let's pray. Father, we ask for your help this morning. Um, by your Spirit, come and uh, take these... Uh, thoughts and and words and um, contemplations on your word uh, and use them by the power of your spirit to shape us to be more like Jesus, to love more like Jesus, even if we suffer like Jesus. Um, We ask that you would help us to see him in him only this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, Nathan and Stacy and I have been reading a book for a while now that you've probably heard me quote several times called A Praying Life. It's written by a man named Paul Miller. Paul is the director of a ministry called See Jesus. Um, he's authored several books, Love Walked Among Us, A Praying Life, and others. Well, um, in his book, A Praying Life, Paul tell stories about uh, one of their daughters, Kim. Uh, Paul and Jill welcomed Kim as their sixth child uh, into their home in 1982. It became apparent at a young age that Kim was behind in her development of milestones, and Kim was also nonverbal. And due to those factors, Kim was eventually diagnosed as having autism. Um, And that was... A diagnosis that was given at a time when doctors were just recognizing it, but it was pretty severe. So throughout uh, Kim's life, uh, her diagnosis not only created enormous stress on their family, but also isolated Jill, her mom. And uh, she had to spend most of her time helping Kim, taking care of Kim. She couldn't go places. And so, uh, in the book, A Praying Life, Paul tells story after story about how parenting Kim taught him about how 
God parents him and what prayer has to do with all of that. Kim did not learn to speak until she was in her 20s. And even when she learned to speak, it was with a machine, a computer that enabled her to speak. So Paul tells us a story in A Praying Life, um, kind of on himself. Uh, he, he decided that uh, Jill was, of course, exhausted from caring for Kim and never got to go anywhere, never got to be alone. Uh, and he traveled a lot, speaking, doing seminars. So he decided on this one particular weekend, he was going to Florida to do a seminar, and he thought, you know, I'll take Kim with me. I'll let her come along, and we'll do the seminar, and then we'll go to Disney for a day. This is what he, he says in the story. He says that uh, the trip was a disaster. While waiting on the shuttle bus at the airport, Kim realized that her mother had not given her a book to take with her. And, and so Kim began to uh, do what she commonly did when she was frustrated. She had this low-pitched, loud whine. And uh, Paul says that he's, he's looking around, everybody's looking at them, she's fussing. He has a box, a uh, cardboard box that says, See Jesus on the side of it. So he's trying to turn that around to hide it. He's starting to get embarrassed. It didn't stop there. Uh, at the TC, TSA uh, line, when they're going through security, uh, the agent asked her to put her speech computer on the conveyor to go through. To be, well, she yelled at him and said, you can't have this. This is my voice, yelled at him through the computer. This is my voice. You can't take my voice. And, of course, they did. And so... She whined, and it was loud, and people were watching, and Paul was embarrassed. So they got on the plane, and on the plane, they're sitting there waiting to taxi away from the gate, and uh, the flight attendant says, now you need to switch off all your devices. So not only did Kim have to switch off her CD player, which she loved, but she also had to switch off her speech computer. And so she began, again, in the back of the plane, this loud, low-pitched whine and whine and whine. And then the pilot announced, we're 12th in line to take off. And Kim had a meltdown. Paul tells the story uh, that it was, it was a disaster. He, he said that uh, he began to think, uh, this was a mistake, and I will never do this again. Um, if it were me, I would have never done it in the first place. So he, he was a champ. He said that uh, later on he realized that he was in the middle of one of God's stories. This is after the trip was over, reflecting back on it. He said this, The father was taking me on the same downward journey he took his son. Paul invited the Philippian church to join Jesus when he said, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Paul Miller says, the downward journey is a gospel story. Whenever you love, you reenact Jesus' death, he said. Whenever you love, you reenact Jesus' death. 
made me think of John 15 where Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that he lay his life down for his friends. Love looks like dying so that others might live. So Paul died to himself, to his preferences, to his comfort, to his reputation in the sight of others, so that his wife could rest, so that his wife could live. Paul died. That's what love looks like. So when we love the way Jesus loved, by laying down our lives so that others might live, we live a Jesus-shaped life. We put Jesus on display to others. And it looks like Jesus when we do that. Again, he said, whenever you love, you reenact Jesus' death. Consequently, he says then, gospel stories always have suffering in them. I thought about that this week as I thought about this passage. And I thought about how Peter said that Jesus left us an example. And that word example, I said a couple of weeks ago, uh, is a word that refers to a, a process of teaching children how to write, how to form letters. Uh, that word example really literally means to write under something. So it's like this. Here is the letter J. And so if some of us remember back in the day when we were taught to lay a piece of paper over the perfect example and, and you can see the J faintly in there. And so then you just trace over it. I'll do my best to trace over my own letter here. This is what Peter is saying Jesus has done for us. Jesus, by his laying his life down, suffering for the sake of others so that they can have life, has left us an example so that we might trace our lives in suffering and giving ourselves for the sake of others over his. And by doing that, our lives become Jesus-shaped, and we put him on display in the way we relate to others. This is what, um, but what's interesting about this is that when we do this, this particular letter, uh, Paul Miller calls this the J-curve. I know that there's some reference to a J-curve in finance or, or something like that, but this is the Jesus J-curve. Jesus gave his life, he suffered. He took the low place. He became a suffering servant. But God exalted him to glory. This is what the life of Jesus looks like, and this is the life that God has called us to. And Peter has been showing us this already. In chapter 1, Peter said that through the prophets, the Holy Spirit predicted the sufferings of Christ and his su subsequent glory. 
So throughout the letter of 1 Peter, we're continually told that Jesus suffered and then he was glorified. Suffering first, glory later. And then Peter tells us throughout his letter that that same pattern of suffering than glory is the shape of our lives. He says in, right away in, first, in chapter 1, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this is the Jesus-shaped life. This is the J-curve. This is the pattern uh, that we have been called to live. And Peter says at the end of his letter in chapter 5, he says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish, establish you. So I got to thinking about this. The J-curve. Um, this is what Peter's been talking about for the last few weeks as we've looked at all the relationships in which Peter has told us to be subject. So, for example, he told us to be subject, subject as citizens uh, to the governing authorities. We are citizens of heaven already, but we've been asked to be subject like Jesus, even if it means that we suffer for it, so that we glorify God. Then he goes to masters and slaves, or in our context, employers and employees. We are slaves of Jesus, we are slaves of God, but Peter asks us to suffer like Jesus, be subject like Jesus, so that it's a gracious thing in God's sight. We put Jesus on display in the way we relate to our governing authorities. We put Jesus on display in the way we relate to our work authorities. And then, as we saw last week, he moves to marriage. He goes from preaching to meddling. Um, well, we know that we're married to Jesus. We're the bride of Christ. But he asks us to subject ourselves like Jesus in our marriages. And then the result is that it's precious in God's sight, Peter says. We put Jesus on display in our marriages by the way we suffer as we hope for glory. Um, you could look at parenting. Think about it. You, kids don't realize this, but parents figure it out pretty quickly that in order to train your children to discipline them, you have to suffer. If I, for example, this doesn't happen, but if I had to take away Anna's car for some reason, that hurts me. Because then I have to take her to school and pick her up from school. It's helpful for me if she has her car. But if for some reason I needed to discipline her, to train her, um, and take her car away, it's going to hurt me. So parenting is another place where we have this J-curve pattern of suffering To love as Jesus loved. Loving as Jesus loved means substituting myself for the sake of others, like Jesus did. And Peter, in this passage, 
uh, talks about that kind of love again. And it, look at uh, verse 18. 1 Peter 3.18. Notice again this exchange that love makes. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus the righteous, who had no sins of his own to pay for, exchanged his righteousness for our unrighteousness. That was the act of love. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So, what I want us to briefly look at this morning before we spend some time praying together is simply this. The real grace of God in Christ enables us as the church to put Jesus on display in real life before a watching world as we do three things. As we love the way Jesus loves, as we suffer the way Jesus suffers, and as we rest in the way Jesus reigns. Quickly, look at verse 8. He says, finally, all of you. See, this is a list. He, he was talking about being subject, being submissive in to governing authorities, being submissive in the workplace, being submissive in marriage. And now he says, finally, all of you, in, your, in all of your relationships, and in particular, your relationships in the church, verse 18, Christ, uh, verse, excuse me, 8, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. He's describing Jesus. This is how Jesus loves. Jesus uh, loved his brothers and sisters with a unity of mind, with a sympathy, uh, a caring heart, a brotherly love, a tender, sensitive heart, a humble mind. So he's saying, use your, your head and your heart and your hands to love one another. And when you do, make sure that you are suffering so that others live. Because that's what it looks like to love one another. I told you some time ago that uh, Pastor Scott Sauls tells his church regularly that if, if there's not someone in this church that you, you're frustrated by, or if there's not something about this church that doesn't frustrate you, you're not going to learn to love. Because in order to learn to love, you've got to learn to die to yourself. So if there is someone in this church if there is something about this church that frustrates you, good, I'm glad you're here. You, like me, get to learn to love because you get to learn to die to yourself. And I do too. Even if that's me, the one you have to deal with. Um, loving each other in the church is going to require that we die to ourselves, die to our preferences, die to our positions, die to whether we're noticed, die to whether we're appreciated. Loving like Jesus is not fun. Um, and I, Pastor Jimmy, am one who struggles with this. Let me give you an example. Uh, Friday night, and Abby's here. Abby's, this might embarrass her, sorry. It's, it's about me, not you. So Friday night, I had planned, Christine's out of town, I had planned to watch basketball all night long. I was going to watch the Carolina game, which I'm glad I didn't. 
I was going to watch the Duke game. And I was just going to enjoy sitting on the couch, guilt-free, watching basketball. But my sweet daughter called me, and she said, Dad, my roommates and I have found a couch on Facebook Marketplace, and we're going to buy it. Can you bring your truck and help me go get it? And sure, sure I'll do that. Because I love you. And we did. And, but here, here's the thing that Abby probably doesn't even realize. I, I'm not a handy person. I don't feel like a strong person. So when I think of loading a couch into my truck and driving it 45 minutes all the way up Lookout Mountain, hoping that I strapped it in well, that just caused me a lot of anxiety, honestly, because I'm just not one of those kind of dudes who's very confident about those things. So I thought about that, and I thought, oh, man, how long is this going to take? I, I'm extremely selfish. But we did it. And you know what? I prayed on the way. I was like, Lord, please make this not too embarrassing. And it was fine. We got the truck, the couch in there. We strapped it down. Abby and I went over to Chewy's and had a great dinner. Got up the mountain, unloaded it, laughed with her friends. And I got home really late and really didn't get to see the games. And you're like, oh, please. You're such a wimp. What a whiner. Yeah, that's the point. If I can't suffer to love my daughter, how am I ever going to suffer like Jesus did to love my enemy? Friends, I need Jesus. And so then he goes on to talk about those who may not be so friendly toward us. He says, do not pay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. So now Jesus not only wants us to love our family in the church, he wants us to love to the, to the point of suffering people who oppose us, people who will revile us, people who will uh, pay us evil. And he wants us now to bless them like he did when he hung on a cross and looked around at the sneering people on the ground and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Loving like Jesus loves requires us to die. And so he goes on. We are going to, if we're going to love as Jesus loves, we're going to suffer the way Jesus suffered. And he says that in the, the following verses. Um, he talks about suffering for righteousness, for, for doing good, for being righteous. Well, righteousness ultimately is obedience to God's law. It's loving God and it's loving others. And so when we suffer for righteousness, we're suffering for loving, like Jesus loved. You've probably heard the old the old phrase that the same sun that melts ice hardens clay. Would you love people as Jesus loved people? Some will respond with a melted heart 
some will respond to you with a hardened heart. That's the way they responded to him. He loved them well, and some of them melted in his presence. He loved them well, and some of them got harder. And this is what I think Peter is pointing out when he he says uh, um, that there are some whom when we love them and we are righteous, we are loving God and loving others in the place God puts us, some will be drawn to us and say, why do you have such hope? How can you live in this world the way you're living? There's, what is it you're hoping in that makes you live that way? Some will be melted and curious and attracted. Others will revile us. Others will mock us. Um, I had a former student Facebook message me a couple of years ago and he asked me this question. Can you tell me why you believe Jesus is God? I, oh, this is exciting. I love to answer these kind of questions. Here's a guy who's about 30 now and struggling and he just wants to have a dialogue about why, why should I trust Jesus? So I started to answer him. Turned out that all he really wanted to do was mock me. And so for several months, we had this back and forth conversation through Facebook Messenger, and he called me every vile thing under the sun. He mocked Jesus. He mocked me. He mocked Christians. And it was just horrible. And I tried to be gracious. I tried to, my temptation was to answer him with the same kind of venom that he was answer, uh, attacking me. Um, but it, it, it hurt. It was hard. Um, and it was clear that I was not going to get anywhere with him. So I was like, Lord, what is this all about? It forced me to hold on to, to cling to the very gospel and the very Jesus that he was mocking. I don't think many of us experience the kind of persecution that Peter's talking about here. Um, But when we love like Jesus and then suffer for loving like Jesus, Hopefully, it will draw people to ask us the question, the question, why would you love like that and suffer like that? What is it that you hope in? And hopefully, we can turn to them and say, I hope in Jesus, who's alive. And even when we respond Peter says we need to respond like Jesus with gentleness and respect. So, we love like Jesus, we suffer like Jesus, and we put him on display when we do that, but we can only love and suffer like Jesus when we rest in the way Jesus reigns, and that's what these verses 18 to 22 are about. They're kind of a creed. We we read the Apostles' Creed this morning, these verses are a kind of a creed. Crucifixion, resurrection, proclamation, ascension. Uh, Let's look at these real quick. Here's how Jesus reigns, and this is what gives us hope. 
when we love and suffer for him. By his crucifixion, Jesus reigns over the power of our sin. In verse 18, Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for sins. He suffered. He was put to death. This was not dying by natural causes. He suffered a painful death. Why? For our sin, not his own. The righteous Jesus for the unrighteous Jimmy, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. By his crucifixion, Jesus reigns over the power of sin. If you and I are going to love like Jesus and suffer like Jesus, we've got to know that he reigns over the power of our sin. I've got to know that my sin is paid for, that there's no guilt in the presence of Jesus, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I have to cling to the Jesus that I'm being mocked for loving. But I have to know, Peter says, that his resurrection reigns over the power of of death. He goes on to say that Jesus was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Now, I've, I've not been persecuted to the point of death. There are Christians in the world today who are being persecuted to the point of death. Peter's readers were probably being persecuted to the point of death. But Peter is saying, Jesus reigns over death. Jesus kicked open the gates of death and hell from the inside out. He wrestled death to the ground and pinned it down. It's done. And so when you suffer, even if it's the suffering of not getting to watch your ball game or the suffering of the threat of death, Jesus has conquered death. So I can die. I can die to myself. And then, by his proclamation, Jesus reigns over the powers of darkness. This is the weird little section, verses 19 and 21, uh, that even Martin Luther said he didn't understand. (laughs) This is strange. This is one of the most difficult parts of the New Testament to understand. And I I got some help from several different sources um, this week. And I want to try to explain this because I think it helps us uh, as we love and suffer like Jesus. By his proclamation, Jesus reigns over the powers of darkness. Uh, Here's what it says. In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is he talking about? What he's saying is, he's going through the order of crucifixion, resurrection, he's going to get to Jesus ascending into heaven, but between his resurrection and his ascension, apparently Jesus proclaimed victory to the powers of darkness. And Peter is, compare, is saying that those were the same powers of darkness that were present when Noah was building the ark. And think about, remember this, Noah was building this ark because God told him to. The ark was a symbol of God's salvation, God's rescue from judgment. The entire world, except for eight people, 
mocked God's ark of salvation. Mocked the fact that there was a God who was going to judge them. The entire world, except for these eight, were being mocked. And Peter is saying to his readers, even if the entire world comes against you and mocks Jesus as your way of salvation and says, there's no judgment coming, even if the entire world is against you, Jesus has proclaimed victory over the same spirits that caused those people in Noah's day to mock God. And those are the same spirits that are causing these people to mock God now. Jesus has proclaimed victory over them because of his crucifixion and resurrection. And then, what about baptism? Well, just as Noah was rescued through water, through the flood, from an evil world, and then entered into a new and cleansed world, so we believers are rescued through water, through baptism, from the evil world that surrounds us and are delivered into the new world of the church, the Christian community. Uh, It is not that baptism saves us. It's that baptism was the sign that we had trusted Christ. And so it's in that sense that Peter is saying, through that water, you have come out of darkness into a new reality. Now you live as new people in this world as exiles. Don't be afraid. Jesus has proclaimed victory over the powers of darkness. And then finally, we can rest in Jesus' authority over every power. By his ascension, Jesus reigns over every power forever. Who has, Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Folks, God has called us to live this Jesus-shaped life of suffering as we love the people that he's put in our lives with the hope that he who has already gone into glory and reigns there will take us with him and we'll be okay. And it's, it goes back to the verses that you hear me say every Sunday and I am not going to stop because I need them. What shall we say then? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, with Jesus, graciously give us all things we need to live and love like Jesus, even if we have to suffer? And that's why we have this meal every every week. Because friends, if I can't suffer a little bit and die to myself to love my daughter. God, help me. Help me to be willing to suffer to love my enemy. Father God, would you come in this moment, in this sacrament, and would you make the presence and the power and the passion of Jesus ours? Make it real to us. Help us to to see how this table pronounces 
Jesus reigns over sin. Jesus reigns over death. Jesus reigns over every evil power. Jesus reigns over everything forever. It's in his name we pray. Amen.